this idea of being led by the Spirit. You know, what does that mean? I mean, have you uh, ever seen, if you will, in your life or in different groups, that people can say they're being led by the Spirit, and you think, I don't know about that. Have you ever had that experience where somebody said, well, I, you know, the Spirit of God led me to do that. And I go, well, that, that doesn't sound like something that the Spirit would do. Maybe it's what we wanted to do. Uh, and so I want to look at that as this idea of being led by the Spirit. What does that mean? How, how do we understand that? I was thinking uh, this morning or as I was getting ready that, uh, you know, to be led by another person, you have to trust them, right? You know, you, it, it, I've told you, I think I mentioned that uh, this being continually led by the Spirit. Uh, really, uh, in John eight fourteen, if you look at that later, you can. Uh, Paul makes this statement. He said, those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. The people who are led by the Spirit of God are the people who are the children of God. So, so this being led by the Spirit is not just some secondary idea or things that missionaries need to deal with. This isn't just some kind of ancillary issue that, you know, it's nice if you want to talk about it, nice if you want to deal with it, where Paul says in Romans 8, 14, that those who are continual or those who are led by the Spirit, these, that, that, these are the people, these are the ones who are the children of God. And so I want to look at that. What, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? We looked at some of that last week. But I want to, again, remind you that, you know, being led by someone else, you have to trust them, don't you? I, I think I've mentioned a couple of times, maybe we went to Israel a couple of years ago. I know. But yeah, uh, one of the things that encouraged me to go to Israel, uh, Dan and Jamie Reineke had asked us to go, and some of you others have been there. Uh, one of the things that encouraged me, uh, you know, I'd never been there before. I wanted to go, but I wasn't sure about it. You know, I, I didn't know, can I rent a car or any kind of things like that? You know, should I wear a flak jacket? I, you know, I just wasn't sure. Uh, uh, but one of the things that encouraged me to go with Dan and Jamie was because Jamie had been to Israel five times. And Dan had been there three times. You know what? When they told me, now when you go into the old city, go this way, you know what I did? I went, no, I didn't go the other way. <laughs> I thought about it. I, did, I will tell you, I did think about it. Now it's going. You know, but, but when Dan or Jamie would give us directions or what to go or what to do, I trusted them because they'd been there before. And, and, and any time we're led or directed by another person, I mean, it just makes common sense, doesn't it? That we have to trust, we have to have confidence in. Well, I want to. I'm going to start with the assumption that, that that you probably have some confidence and trust in God. You, you probably have some confidence and trust in Jesus through the Spirit to lead you. The question may be that we sometimes say, "Well, how would I know if I'm being led by the Spirit? How would I know that, Cliff? How, what does the Scripture teach me about how I know that?" So I want to. I want to start with this. Here we go. Oh, this is wonderful. One is you can know you're being led by the Spirit when you're led to exalt Jesus. Led to exalt Jesus. I want to look at two passages here that come out of Jesus' own words and out of the Apostle Paul's writings. And so if you'll go to your table of contents, that's the very front. Go look that up. It's in 1 Corinthians. That's in the New Testament. That's part of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches. If you have a study Bible like mine, you have 88 pages in the middle of that. 1 Corinthians, in my Bible it's 1085, go to chapter 12, chapter 12, and I'm just going to read something here uh, as we uh, look at this about this is how you could know or you could assert, I'm being led by the Spirit. Uh, now, the Apostle Paul here in chapter 12, verse 1, 
makes this interesting statement. He says, now concerning spiritual, and I don't know in your Bible, is the word gifts italicized? Gifts, yeah. There's some question here about this Greek term, pneumakaton, meaning is it spiritual gifts or is it about spiritual people? Uh, there is some question because of the way it's written in the particular uh, uh, case it's in. We call it in Greek. Uh, it's, uh, now, concerning spiritual gifts or concerning spiritual people, uh, this idea, I, I want to I talk to you about spiritual people. Isn't it interesting in verse 1? Have you noticed today that people are often saying this, well, I'm not religious or I'm not a Christian, but I'm spiritual. Isn't, it? Isn't that interesting? There really is a, 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 a huge move in our culture uh, I, I was uh, uh, reading uh, the other day that uh, the, one of the largest growing populations in America on religious surveys, where the Pew Institute or Barna or, you know, Bob down the street uh, does a survey, uh, the, the largest growing category is other. You know, Christian, Muslim, Jew, Buddhist, Taoist, you know, uh, you know whatever. Other. What does that mean? It means it means that in our culture, there's the largest growing group in our culture that don't consider themselves Christians. They don't consider them Jews. They don't consider themselves Muslims. They don't consider themselves Hindus. They don't consider them as part of any kind of, if you will, organized traditional religion. They're other. And when you press them, they say, I'm spiritual. That's interesting because Paul says, I, I want to I make sure that you're understanding about spiritual people. So when we talk to people, we say, well, yeah, I'm spiritual. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. And part of that is being spiritual. So he says this, I, I'm, I'm writing you about spiritual people. I don't want you to be unaware. In verse 1, that word unaware is the word ignorant. Ignorant. It just means to not know. Agnosis, we get the word agnostic. He says, I don't want you to be unaware. I, I was thinking in, in my world, uh, if you grow up in East Texas, ignorant means you don't know stuff. Ignorant means you're stupid. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference. You know, uh, it, it, if you're ignorant, you just don't. But if you're ignorant, you're just stupid. You know, don't be so ignorant. Yeah, Doug, we know. Uh, but, but he's saying I, it, it, there's no premium here on being led by the Spirit that there's no premium on ignorance. Think about that for a second. You know, there, there's no premium. So I don't want you to be ignorant here about spiritual gifts, about spirit. There's no premium on ignorance. This uh, corresponds surely to what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so Paul is trying to help them. So watch here. He said, you know that when you were pagans, actually the word there is ethne, which means Gentiles. But as I've said to you before, there, in the Jewish mind, there are only two groups of people in the universe, Jews and not Jews, <laughs> ethne or ethnoi. The nation. So when you were a pagan or, or, or a Gentile, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Interesting? He's the word led there now. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. Or anathema is the, is the word that Jesus is accursed. He said, look, nobody speaking by the Spirit says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to unpack this here for a second because this is an interesting and somewhat confusing passage here. That Paul is saying here that when you were a pagan, before you were a follower of Jesus, when you were an ethnoi, he's saying you were led about by mute 
idols. They couldn't speak. That's part of the characteristic if you read the Old Testament, that the idol worshipers uh, through the prophets would often say, Go, you know, have, have your God say something. Have him speak. He's made out of wood or, or stone. And he says, you were led about astray however you were led. Therefore, I make it known to you that no one's speaking. So the idea here is leadership, I think. How are you being led? You were led before into dumb idols or mute idols, and you were led astray. Therefore, now no one, I think the inference here is, no one being led by the Spirit of God says what? It's hard to even read, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus is accursed. Now, there are a couple of possibilities here. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but there's a couple of possibilities here that Paul is trying to bring some sanity. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Remember, apparently they have been. They're ignorant as to what this being led by the Spirit means. That they is some evidence to suggest that these pagans, these ethnoi, these Gentiles, because in their former worship, one of the characteristics of pagan worship is ecstasy. And if you remember this, if you you know studied in in college or you know about the Greek religions and and uh, you know the ecstasy. In other words, often. When, if you read about the oracle at Delphi, if you leaned over the kind of steam coming out from under the ground, and that was part of their religion, you know, keep your skin smooth at least, you know, uh, you'd, you'd, you'd lean over there, and when the, when, the, when the oracle or the spirit would get a hold of you, you would begin to have ecstatic speaking. And you would have ecstatic experience. You would almost lose consciousness. This is what's so fascinating, I think, about Jesus and the New Testament is there doesn't seem to be any evidence that, that that kind of experience is what the Bible is talking about. It's always saying that the Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit. There's some cooperation, but not some absolute takeover. What is that doing? <laughs> I saw that out of the corner of my eye. Good night. You better stop that. <laughs> yeah, here we go. It's still working. It's an absolute takeover by the pagans. <laughs> I'm fixing to say something I probably will regret. <laughs> yeah, and may never teach again. <laughs> uh, but that is one of the features of paganism that we see in the ancient world. It's the, some of the mystery religions. and So there's some question, is, have these people brought some of this ecstasy, if you will, or ecstaticness into the church and that somebody has actually under the influence of ecstasy, under the influence of almost unbridled uh, emotion, has blurted out, Jesus is accursed. Under the power. If you, I, I remember, maybe I should not say this, but I, I remember years ago I went to a concert to see Sly and the Family Stone. I'm just telling you, I, you cannot see my... Uh, a music list on my iPod. You just can't. I mean, there's like a Michael W. Smith in there somewhere, you know, every once in a while. But I remember going to see them, and uh, this is where I met Becky, so I had not had her wonderful, godly influence in my life. <clears throat> and I remember that when Sly and the Family Stone came out and they started playing, now people were passing some things in the aisles, you know, and, and I, I did not partake, or I didn't inhale. <laughs> This is going bad now. 
I did not. I did not. I did not partake. I, I'm, I'm, t- I'm, being, I'm being honest here. I, did, I didn't partake. I didn't partake. But, but, I, I remember this vividly. I, I remember being in that place, and when, when Sly and the Family Stone came out and started playing, this place just started vibrating with, with emotion. And we're, everybody's dancing at the same time. Of course, I'm sitting there thinking, I wonder if a structural engineer ever anticipated there'd be this many people in this room jumping up and down on these stadium seats. Just a thought. Uh, uh, and, and we are, I mean, people are dancing and laughing. And one guy said to me, and it was on the song, I'm going to take you higher. He said to me, man, I think you're high enough. And I said, dude, I haven't had anything. But, I mean, it was almost like I was out of my mind for a while, you know which didn't take long to get out. <laughs> but but I, remember, I, mean, that, I remember that experience of emotion that got on me, and I'm not a dancer, <laughs> you know? I, I, I'm not one of those people that does that. I mean, really, I usually... You know, I mean, I like the beat, but it was like something happened to me. And, and this may be one of the features that Paul is addressing about pagan worship, that it was basically uncontrolled. And there has been an experience here that that's happened. He would say, hey, that is not being led by the Spirit. Now that's obvious, isn't it? That's pretty easy to see. But notice what he says then. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, this, the, the other alternative uh, interpretation here is that this has not happened it hasn't been that somebody said, but he says here, but no one can say, look, Jesus is Lord without the Spirit. In other words, what Paul is trying to say, here's a hypothetical crazy possibility that you might be able to say, but nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Is that really true, Paul? Can, can nobody say that? I mean, Jesus is Lord. Uh, I, I think that sometimes we've been Christians too long. And uh, one of the things that Paul is saying here, in some respect, is that the Spirit of God leads people to confess Jesus is Lord. Now, I don't know if you realize how dangerous that is. How dangerous the word Lord is in the ancient world. Uh, You may know, one, for uh, these people to confess Jesus as Lord, for the Jews, that's blasphemy. That, that, that is grounds for execution. If you call Jesus Lord, it's the Greek term, Lord, kurios, that is the loan word from the Old Testament, Yahweh. They wouldn't even say His name. And for a Jewish person to say Jesus of Nazareth is Lord is blasphemy. No one can say that if you say it, if you don't mean it. No, no one says that except by the Spirit of God. Because... Jewish people kill you. The other one is, it's interesting. There's also another response. In the Roman world, to call anyone but Caesar Lord is treason. I don't know if you know the history of the church, but every year throughout the empire, the Roman empire, every year, every person in the empire was commanded to burn incense to Caesar just a couple of seconds, you know, okay, here it But you throw the incense down, you burn it, and you say this, Caesar is Lord. Christians wouldn't do that. Christians wouldn't do that. They, they would walk up and they'd say, you know, we want to be good citizens of this country or this empire. We want to be, we want to be cooperative. 
We're not saying that. They killed them. Polycarp, who was one of the great church fathers, we have a lot of evidence from him from Justin Martyr and and, uh, Josephus. Polycarp is told that he's going to say Caesar is Lord. He is the Lord. And you're going to confess him. He said, I won't do it. At one point, the rulers said, if you'll just say this, by the luck of Caesar, I will live. (laughs) I mean, they're, they're trying to throw him a softball. By the luck of Caesar, I will live. He won't say it. I mean, we've been Christians too long. We hear that. I used to think that Jesus had three names. Lord, Jesus, Christ. I thought Jesus was his middle name. I thought his first name was Lord. His last name was Christ. Or Jesus' the middle name. You know, this is a, this is a title. This is a, this is a name that is given to him that suggests that Paul is saying, only under the power of the Spirit can a person say, Jesus is Lord. You know why? It was too costly. It cost people their lives. It cost people in China, if you know anything about what's going on over there, it cost people their job. If you confess Jesus as Lord, you don't get the job you have or you don't get to go to school. In other parts of the world, listen, Jesus is a wonderful guy and they like to talk about it, but when you say He is Lord, things change. And I think that what Paul is saying here in one respect is that Jesus is glorified by us when we're led by the Spirit to say, He is Lord. And again, in our Christian culture, we get away with saying all kinds of things. Does it cost anybody in America to say that generally? Nah. You're just, you know, you're kind of ostracized maybe at the office. And so this idea of glorifying or honoring Jesus, that, that, that's this first point right here. You're led to exalt, you're led to exalt Jesus as Lord. I wonder if you thought about that. I've been doing some reading while I'm on a break. And in a theological circles, there's always lots of talk about Jesus fulfilling three different offices. And I'm going to do some teaching about this later, so I won't give it all to you. But, but Jesus has these three offices. He's a prophet. He tells us about God. He lets us know who God is. He reveals who God is. He's a priest. He is, in fact, the one who is the go-between to for our sins and to offer the sacrifice for our sins. The last one has to do with this Lord idea. He's king. That Jesus Christ in all of His offices in our lives is prophet, priest, and king. But we don't talk about that much. We don't talk about lordship. We talk about saviorship. I'm glad about that. That's priest. But we don't talk about lordship much, do we? Because it's kind of gone out of fashion. Well... Paul says here, if you and I are being led by the Spirit, we will declare Jesus as Lord. And that's a pretty rambunctious thing, even in our culture today. That means we have no other authority or loyalty beyond Him. Think how that wears sometimes. We have no other loyalty, no other, uh, 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 no other power over us than Jesus. Whatever He says... Whatever He declares, whatever He relates to us, is what we do. That's not always easy, is it? Not in a culture that wants us to kind of muddy the middle and muddy everything up to say, wait a minute, Jesus is Lord. And again, our brothers and sisters, if you will, centuries ago, paid for that statement with their lives. And so I think Paul's making just a very common statement. No one can say, Jesus is Lord, 
except by the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus talked to his disciples, said, you're going to go before kings and judges and, uh, and rulers, and when you get there, I'm going to give you what to say. And they're going to kill you. And they're going to persecute you. And those men and women, we know there are women in, in the early church that did this, that stood up with their very life and said, Jesus is Lord. Does that make sense? Think if we're being led by the Spirit. Are we bringing about this matter of exalting Jesus? So look at this here, if you will. Oh, What if this week you identified one thing you currently do or one thing you can do to express that Jesus is indeed Lord of your life? Is there one thing that you could identify to do this week to say, you know what? In order for me to express my that Jesus is my Lord... I'm going to drive the speed limit. (laughs) For some of you, that'd be a big deal. (laughs) You know, the the, the policeman is not my Lord. I I don't just drive right when he's there. You know, I was driving along the other day, and I was doing a little over. And uh, Becky, I think, was with me, and uh, she's looking at that. And I say, you know what? I'm going to be consistent. If I get a ticket, I'm going to be consistent. I'm not going to slow down. Thankfully, he was on his way to the doing. No, I'm not. That's ridiculous. 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 but, but what is it you could do that you would... And I'm serious when I say that about driving the speed limit. To say, I'm not surrendering to, if you will, what I ought to do because the police are watching me. It's because Jesus is my Lord. Or is it at work that someone says something about another person and they want to get you involved in some kind of malicious activity or some kind of malicious discussion? And you say, wait a minute, uh, you know what? It says, speak evil of no man. That's what the Scriptures say. And I, I'm not going to get involved in this. I, I, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So it could be many things that, that you are, are you already doing. What would it mean for us this week to go through life to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the ruler, the director, the guide, the king. You can use all kinds of different words here of my life. Does that make sense? All right, let's go to the second one here. This thing is working. I don't want to, I don't want to mess with it. The second one is, to be led by the Spirit, maybe you may be led to use your brain. How about that? <laughs> don't even open that door here. <laughs> Just, please, please, don't make me. You know, I think, that, I think there is this kind of mysticism that uh, sort of at times gets a hold of us when we're referring to the Spirit. And, and I'm not saying the Spirit doesn't guide and direct, but I, I want to show you, if you'll go to Acts, uh, turn left there and go back a couple of books. Uh, I told Becky that it, when I was talking to her about this, uh, I, I get her approval of what I'm teaching. So uh, I, I was telling her about this passage here that years ago, um, let me just be honest with you, I, I think I've told you this. When I, when I have a big decision to make, you know, big, like a job change or, or something. I, I don't know about you, but I have the hardest time figuring out what God wants me to do. Anybody with me? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to be point blank serious with you. I have a hard time. People, you know, people say, well, you know, just listen. I'm saying, I'm listening all I know how to. And I'm reading scripture and I'm, I'm trying to figure And I, I'll just be honest with you. Maybe some of you, you're just so dialed into the spirit that you just get it and it's very simple for you and I'm happy for you. That's not been me. That has never been my experience. I remember when I left to go to seminary, I was pastoring a church in Houston, about a thousand people. Wayne Bolenbacher was on my staff and we're still friends. That's amazing. 
and I remember I had some uh, sense that I needed to go back to school. I, I had some thing, I thought there's some things I need to deal with, some issues. And, and I remember uh, when I finally came to the conclusion, um, I mean, I was staying up and praying and fasting and, and everything I knew to do. And, and I remember somebody saying to me when I finally announced it to the church, and he said, boy, it must be great to know where God wants you to go. And I said this, yeah, it would be. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. You know, I, I've said to my students before, it's not between going to seminary and robbing a bank. That's simple, right? But to get the direction of the Spirit to say to stay and pastor a church or go back to school, which one? And I remember agonizing over that. I remember when I came here to teach at Mid-America. That was 23 years ago. I can't believe I'm still here. I was agonizing over God. What do you want me to do? And I was praying. And I, Becky was worried about me. Of course, there's lots of reasons for that. But she was worried. Because I would fast one day and eat one day, fast one day and eat one day. I'd stay up all night. She'd find me. I, I would be on the couch, uh, knelt down, uh, been asleep. In my, I was still in my clothes. I kept thinking, oh God, you've got to tell me what to do here. What was hard for me was, I did sense the Spirit leading me. And, and I sensed the Spirit saying to me, well, what do you want to do? First reaction was, now who is this really? <laughs> right? Because we think God always wants us to do what? The thing we don't want to do. That's why I've been praying to go be a missionary to Hawaii. I don't want to go. <laughs> Wish God couldn't read my mind, huh? Oh, I'd hate going to Hawaii. So the Spirit, I felt the Spirit say to me, well, where do you want, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd like to go teach. And he said, go teach. And I said, what? but I'd really like to stay. I love these people, love this church. Then stay. Then I went, okay, who is this really? Right? And, and, and I mean, I was in agony. I think that was the Spirit saying that to me. And look at Acts 16. Working through my devotions. I mean, just going through my daily Bible reading. In Acts 16, I'm going to begin at verse 6 there. This is about Paul and, and his companions. He said, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I'd sure like to know what that means. Wouldn't you? I really would like to know what that means. I don't know. Nobody does. You know, we, we often use the idea, well, you know, the Spirit closed the door. Well, if you follow that line of reason, guys, Jonah found a boat. God didn't close the door on the boat. Closed doors, open doors, I don't, I have, I half time don't know what to do with them. I don't. You may think, well, you probably need a new Sunday school teacher next weekend. <laughs> I just, you know, I just, I talk to people in, in, in my life and I talk to people, and most of us struggle with this. Don't we? Most, I mean, we'd like to hear what people say and we think it's great, but man, most of us struggle with this. So look here. So we're forbidden by those people. And then notice it, verse 7. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus didn't permit them. I, I, nobody knows what that means. How, in other words, how? We know what. The Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go. We know what, but we don't know how. And passing Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. 
And when he'd had the, seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. I want you to underline this word in verse 10. Concluding. Does your version say that? Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. My eyes, when I was, again, trying to decide to come to Mid-America or stay in Louisiana as a pastor, my eyes fell on that word, and it was like the heavens opened. Concluding. The Greek word for concluding means to bring two things together that were separate. In other words, we're bringing this and this together and we're, drawing, we're putting it together. It means to put together in one's mind. In one's mind. Now you'd say, well man, if I could have a vision. Well, you know, that's not all there is to here. Luke writes that not being able to go to Mysia or Bithynia or to other places, that when they had this vision or dream, they concluded this, that this is where the Spirit wanted to go. And I'll just tell you, I have more times than not had to rely upon this. That to the best of my ability and to the best of my understanding and to follow just the next step that seemed to be in place that I concluded when I came to teach here. Several people in my church said, again, hey, boy, it must be wonderful uh, you know, to, uh, uh, to know God's direction. I said, yeah, it would. <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, I had no vision. I had no star. I had no word. I just said, Lord, from what I can gather, from what I can conclude, this, and I look back on the last 23 years and I think that was the right decision. But I didn't know. Now, Soren Kierkegaard, a great, great philosopher, always said this, that life is always understood looking backwards. You know, it, 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 it's always understood looking, where, where he's, oh, there's the hand of God. You know, one guy helped me with this when he said, that following the leadership of the Spirit, if you're going to conclude, is like this. Uh, on my, your car, my car, we've got a set of headlights. And I'm going to drive to an international youth convention in some days to Nashville. When I get in the car here in 122nd, I don't demand that my headlights go all the way to Nashville. I have enough light with those headlights to keep traveling. And I think that's the way the leadership of the Holy Spirit is. God will give us enough light to keep traveling. There are very few, I think, what I call cataclysmic decisions where you're over here working at this job and God said, next month I want you to be in Australia in this job. That, that doesn't make sense to me. I guess it could happen, but it seems to me that God gives us enough light to travel safely, to keep traveling, to keep moving, to keep going, so we know the next destination we keep coming. So we're being led by the Spirit. Sometimes we have to conclude. Sometimes we have to pull this stuff together and say, it looks like to me. Now let me tell you where the, let me tell you where the, where the heartburn is, in my view. The heartburn for us is, and this is, I think God is collaborative with us. The heartburn for us. We want the Word of the Lord. We want the direction of the Spirit. Direct. Because we don't want to have to trust We, right? Who, who likes to trust God every day? <laughs> who likes to live and trust every day? I want money in the bank. I want good health reports. I want all that kind of stuff. I don't want to have to trust every day for crying out loud. Here, that's where the nub is. That, that we want all the answers for all time out there. And, and the Spirit's just going to give you enough light to conclude. 
Here's the other thing. I, I recognize my own. Maybe it's not in yours. I grew up in a tradition that made me think that following the leadership of the Holy Spirit was always easy. Preachers talked like that. Of course, I knew them. <laughs> you know, I've told you before, you've you got to be careful with me because I sound like I know God better than I do. And all preachers do. We, we all sound like we know God lots better. I mean, you know, I, I can be very articulate and make funny statements like that, but I don't get confused here. I, I don't know God as well as I sound like I do. I talk lots better about prayer than I can pray. But the problem was, for many of us, is that if we don't have like the Red Sea part and we don't have the burning cloud before us, what our real fear is this. This is the real fear. If I make the wrong decision, even though I've done everything I know to do, what's going to happen? God's going to drop you. You, fear, you have that fear, don't you? You know, you, you think you should do this and for everything you can tell, this is the way to go and you go and it doesn't work out and you think, oh no. Oh no. I made the wrong decision. And our God's not big enough to handle that. In fact, I do believe the Lord said this to me. When I came to this school to teach 23 years ago, uh, it was about to go out of business. They were going to foreclose on it. And I believe the Lord said this to me when He said, Cliff, your problem is this. If you do the best you know to do, and you follow my leadership the best you know how, you're afraid I'm not big enough to take care of you. And that I'm too small. That's, what's afraid. That's what fear makes us afraid, isn't it? That, boy, if I make a mistake... If, I don't, if it doesn't work out, you know, and my stocks don't go up and my kids don't all have straight teeth and everything doesn't work out great, I must have missed the will of God. And man, have I had it now. Is it going to give it? That's absurd. It really comes back to this notion, concluding. He did the best he knew to do. He made the best decision and he lived in the confidence. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced this is the way Paul went through life. You can see it here in other places. I don't think Paul prayed much about what to do. I really don't. As I read his life, here's what Paul did. I'm going over here. If you don't want me to, stop me. <laughs> really. I, I'm going over here. If you don't want me to, you better stop me because I'm going over here. <laughs> you know, we get paralyzed, don't we? Oh, God, do you want me to do? Just do it. And quit sweating it. That God's some minuscule, minor kind of guy that's just going to drop you like a hot rock, my dad would say. Sometimes you just have to conclude. And that's what Paul did. Gary? Yes. You bet. You bet. Yeah. 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 And, it, and again, it is. I wasn't thinking about I'm going to go teach in Mid-America or I'm going to rob a bank. That's pretty simple. It's these other gradations of God, what would you have me to do? But Paul is saying here, I think that when we're being led by the Spirit, I don't think that means you don't use your brain anymore. I think you use your mind and everything God's equipped you. Okay, I'm going to go to the last one here. Third one, led to invest your life. Led to invest your life. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4 if you go to your table of contents there. 1 Peter. Uh, I met uh, the other day because I, I, uh, I'm out of school and, and uh, Becky uh, said to me, Cliff, we need to meet uh, with some financial planners. It made me a little nervous she wanted to say that. 
I thought, how much insurance do I have on me now? <laughs> and she said, because, because she knows me, uh, and, and I have this habit uh, for whatever reason, and it's, you know, I, I, I'm trying to fix it. I'm a saver. Every paycheck, I save money. And then I get cash for the weekend. If we don't use it, I rat it away. I have a little envelope that we do a system, and maybe you shouldn't tell somebody coming to my house. Um, <laughs> got an envelope, says emergency fund, $600. Just keep ratting it away. One day, we were out at the store, and Becky wanted to buy something. I said, well, you know, it's not really in our budget. Your clothing allowance doesn't come for the next, you know, paycheck. We have a, she, has, I, she has a clothing allowance, next paycheck. She got home and got to look around the envelopes, and she said, what is this? I said, that's, a, that's an emergency fund. For what? Well, if we need to go to your folks or something comes up, we're not planning. Okay. And then from behind, she goes, what is this? There's $800 in it. I said, that's the super emergency fund. And then I said, would you like to go back to the mall? I'm just a saver. But you know what? Becky's been after me for several years to say, how much interest are we making on that savings account? Well, you know, nothing. She said, Cliff, we've got to invest that money. And I said, but I like having it around, you know. And it's more than $1,300. I mean, you know, over the years, I've saved more than that. Fourteen. Can't even do math. Can't even do math here. Right. But she said, we got to invest it. And I understand that because if you don't invest your money, if you don't invest it, you're not going to make any more money and you're not going to be ready when it comes time to retire. I just want you to look at this verse in First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. I believe the Holy Spirit will lead you to invest your life, not spend it. Listen, listen to me very careful. A lot of people are spending their life. They're not investing it. And what I mean by investing, I mean investing in other people. I mean investing it in the cause of Christ. We just got a team, Steve Cameron, some guys just came back from Honduras. Gary and, Gary and Charlotte are going back down. They went down there and invested their lives. They took some time off. They invested their lives in some people's lives. Waterford Dick, I just got an email from them. They're coming back from a great trip. They're investing. Listen, at the end of our lives, we're all going to look back and not say, how did I spend my life? We're going to ask it, how did I invest it? What's happening since I got here? Is there anything going on? So Paul says this, as each of you has received a special gift, and that Greek word there is charismata, which means comes from the Spirit. As each of you received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I want you to reflect on that. I have much time here, but I just want to show you something. This idea that the Holy Spirit is, in, is leading us to take the gifts, the abilities that He's given to employ them. Look at the word there. Employ it. It means to put it into service. It means to get it off the, the bench and put it in the game. My dad used to say that the American church is a lot like a football game. There are 22 people desperately needing rest, being watched by 80,000 who desperately need exercise. It's a football game, right? And Paul is saying here, or Peter is saying here, look, you've received a gift. God's given you some gift to use for His kingdom to enable you to make a difference, to invest in your life so that others might be blessed and you might experience the joy of it in your life to say, my life mattered.
Look what he says. Employ it as serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. i got two minutes. Let me show you something here. Use it as a steward of the manifold grace of God. Do you know how the grace of God gets to other people? Through people. Look there. As each of you received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If the grace of God's going to get to other people, if the grace of God's going to get to other relationships, if the grace of God's going to make it there, it's because His people have been willing to invest their lead to invest their lives. I'm going to say this. If the Spirit is prompting you, He's saying to you, you, you know, you, you've got a gift. You've got an ability here. You, 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 you've got something you could use for the cause of Jesus. It could happen on this campus where it's part of the ministries of Sunday and Wednesdays and Monday. There's something going on every night. Or it could be a ministry at your job. It could be a ministry where you decide to get people together and do something. To raise money for some, some charity or something. But to use that for the glory of God. Real quick, i got to tell you a real quick story. Here's an example. Y'all know Tom Randall, don't you? Tom Randall, he was the chaplain of the PGA. He was here a few weeks ago and gave his testimony. Long story short, you know, he got arrested, trumped up charges on some stuff that he'd been involved with some kids. He has this orphanage over there. And Tom was thrown into jail. And it was bad. He got sick, real sick. Got an infection. They're saying to him, hey, listen, or he's saying, can we go to the hospital? I need medicine. They said, you can't go to the hospital because you're, uh, you're, uh, you're a prisoner. He gets, it gets worse. It's terrible. If, if families don't bring food, they don't eat in, in the Philippine uh, uh, prison there. And so Tom is getting worse and worse. His wife is bringing food and he's sharing it with others. He's sharing his faith, you know, trying to real quick. Anyway, he's being transferred somewhere at one point. And a young man who was a surgeon there in, in, in Manila saw the, the prisoner transfer and he said, that's my uncle. And they said, what are you talking about? He said, that, that man there, that's my uncle. This young man had been, living, had been in the orphanage there in poverty and when he was about nine years old, Tom said to him, if you'll make good grades, I'll send you to college. Or I'll send you to school. And so he sent him to school and did good grades and made great things. He gets through and says, Tom, you told me if I made good grades, I now want to go to college. And Tom goes, oh, no. <laughs> college? Really? But he said, I've man of my word. He said, okay, if you'll make good grades. Then he went to medical school. He sees Tom on the television and says, where's that, where, where's that prison? He's in his hospital working. They said across the street. He went across the street, saw Tom and said, i got to get you out of here. And they said, he can't get out of here. He's a prisoner. He said, if I can't get him out of here, I'll take the hospital to him. He brought medicine. He brought away. He saved Tom's life. If you, if you want to hear it, you, you talk to him more. He saved Tom's life. And he brought more medicine. There, a revival broke out in the prison. People are getting saved. There's a guy that tried to steal his blanket. Tom wouldn't let him. He took it back from the next day. He said, look, you can't take it. You can ask for it. A revival broke out. Now listen, think about the investment that Tom made in a nine-year-old. That investment saved his life. What are you investing in? It might save your life. It might make the difference of the world in your life. If you and I will invest, we'll be led to invest. So what gifts do you have? 
say, and I'm not going to argue, you know, music or whatever. What, what gifts do you have that you're using wherever you are to enable God's grace to get to other people? Here it is, real quick. Oh, we made it. What if this week you begin to pray every Wednesday morning or evening that God would direct you as to how you can invest your spiritual giftedness in some specific way? Every Wednesday. That's the day. God, how can I invest my life? Not spend it. We're all spending it, guys. We get up, we go to work. We're all spending it. But we have the choice to invest it. Or contact the church office and talk to a pastor about how you might use your spiritual giftedness in some specific way. I'm telling you, as I get older, and I am, I do not want to spend my life. Stephen Olford said it will be this finally at one day. It is not the duration of your life that's going to matter. It's going to be the donation. It's not the duration of how long you live. It's not the duration, but the donation of your life that's going to matter. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be led by Your Spirit. Here are three ways that, Lord, I, I see in Your Word. So help me, help all of us, this week to live with the reality that we can be led by your Spirit to exalt Jesus, to use our brains, and to invest our lives. We pray this in your strong name. Amen.